0: We're going to be in First Thessalonians this morning, if you'd like to turn your Bibles there. I hope you have your Bibles with you. As you know, Scripture often refers to God's people, the church, as a field. He, he refers to us as a building, as a temple, uh, a body, a bride, and a family. And I guess family is one of my favorite. Because it reminds me of the relationships, not only that we have with our Heavenly Father, but the relationships that we share in the body of Christ. That we're brothers and sisters. That the church is to be a place where we can come together and we can be cared for and we can be encouraged and and we can be loved. a, A place that we can feel secure as we come together in Christ Jesus And worship him. As I was thinking about this. I have one brother. I have an older brother. Uh, I seldom get to see him. Hopefully more now that I'm back in Oklahoma. Just because of miles that separated us. And the the busy life. But you know even in that. Because we are brothers. Both of us know that we can pick up the phone at any time. Make a call. And we are there for one another. There is just something about. Family relationships. There's something special, isn't there, when, when we think of our brothers and our sisters and, and our parents as well. Today, as we think about family as the body of Christ, I, I know in some ways it can be a, an emotional topic uh, as we think about family. And really, I hope it's not that unless your emotions flow from the truth of God's Word today. Uh, Because we, as families, we have been through good times, we've been through hard times. This is also a very practical message. It it is a message that that we can put feet to, that we can practice, and it can make a difference in our lives and the lives of our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. But my real hope is that these truths from God's Word will just kind of sink into us and And get into that inner man and the Spirit of God will will use it and and use it to motivate us and to grow us into Christ-likeness. So that in our actions and in our attitudes, other people can, as Pastor Andrew read, they can look at us as a church family, as individuals, and they can say, they've been with Jesus. They know Jesus. And this is a very practical text, like I said. It's a First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. We're just really going to let the Scripture speak for itself today. And he says in verse 14, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another, And to everyone. Let's pray, shall we? Lord God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and open your word. And Father, to sing these songs of praise and thanksgiving. Knowing, Lord, that because of the work that you have done in us as your children, that these songs are just an acceptable sacrifice of of our lips to you. Father, we, we know that without your working, that Anything that we could ever do would be very vain and very empty concerning eternity in your kingdom. So, Lord, we ask as we open your word that your spirit would take these truths and, and Lord, just plant them within our hearts and stir us up. Lord, water them. Father, call us out as a people to practice the reality of who you are within us in our relationships with one another. Lord, I pray for Pastor Jason and David as they are in India today and it's night there. I pray that both of them are being able to rest and get a good night's sleep. God, that you'll just refresh them physically. That as they minister to the folks there, Lord, that you will just empower them by your spirit and with your word. Lord, that people will be blessed and that you will have great joy because of what takes place through that ministry in India. Lord, also this morning that we will be a blessing to you in the way that we hear your word and receive your word. Lord, by the way that we live out the truth of your word. So again, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the great gift that you've given us in Jesus Christ, the gift of eternal life, but also the gift of abundant life. So thank you, Lord. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray, amen. As you look at the book of First Thessalonica, one of the things, if we were to go back and read through these five chapters, one of the things you would pick up on very quickly is this is a church that was very special to Paul. Every chapter, sometimes two times in a chapter, he would have some accommodation for this church, for their faith, or for their commitment, or for their love for one another. But even in all that, as he came down to the fourth chapter, he told them, you know, you've really done good in this thing of love, but I want you to excel even more. And you know, as I think about Lincoln Avenue and I think about this message today, I realize really that probably we're pretty good at what I'm going to speak to you about today, but once again, I would thank as Paul said, let us excel even more. Don't ever let us think that, that we've reached the highest level that we can ever reach in any area of our life, but let us pursue that which God has set before us. And these, these truths are very simple. I want you to notice real quick here uh, in our text, he refers to them as brothers. I know some of the newer translations have brothers and sisters, and that is certainly right. And you know, he didn't use that word brother just to fill in a space or or have something to call them. But we communicate with our words and we communicate our thoughts. So as he was speaking to them in our text, that's the way he was looking at them. That's the way he was considering them as his brothers, as family. In fact, if you would read the conclusion of this little book from verses 12 to the end, you would see that. Five times, just in the conclusion, he refers to them as brothers. In other words, this idea of being a family is on his mind. And we are family as well. We are a family in Christ because we share the same Father. That's the way he started this letter. He said to the church of the Thessalonians, "...in God the Father, or God our Father." So that tells us very quickly when I look at this text, he's not speaking to all mankind. He he is not making a reference to God is the father of all creation because he is creator. He is talking to a very specific group of people. He is talking to the church. He is talking to those who have experienced the new birth. The new birth that Jesus told Nicodemus about in John chapter 3, where he said, Except ye be born again, you shall in no wise enter or see the kingdom of God. So he's talking to those who have been born again by the Spirit. Now, I, I, I want to just take a few minutes here, if I may. I, I think it's very important because we have to have this right or the rest is wrong. Okay? We have to have this understanding of who is a brother in Christ. One of the things, and I I want to make it kind of in a nutshell, we have to understand that being a child of God is a work of God. It is not something we do. It is not something we accomplish. Being a child of God, being a brother and sister in Christ, is a work of God. God, by His Spirit, using His Word, He brings conversion in the life of a child of God. He takes that which is spiritually dead in some marvelous way God gives life where there was death. And Ephesians 2 says, by grace ye are saved. So there is conversion. And as conversion comes, there is conviction in our life. God convicts us that we are sinners. God convicts us that we are separated from God because of our sin. I remember King David over in Psalms 51 When he when Nathan came to him, and I always think of it a long bony finger for some reason, but he pointed that finger at David, and he told that story about the man who had one lamb and the man who had many, and the one had one went and took uh, the the man who had many went and took the one of the other, and Nathan pointed his finger in the face of David, and he said, "You are that man." And the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and the witness of His people and He points in the face of people and He says, you are that person. And David, when He was told that, He said, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I remember Isaiah over in the book of Isaiah when He was raised up in the, see this vision of heaven and He saw a seraphim flying around. And he saw God in all his holiness. And he saw himself. And he said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. Uh, Peter, when he realized who Jesus Christ was, he fell on his face before Jesus and called him Lord. Folks, God in his grace brings conviction into the life of an individual, causing us to realize that we are separated from God and we are helpless and we are hopeless within ourselves. And then he convinces us. He convinces us, and I'm not saying he does this one, two, three, but this is a part of becoming a child of God. He convinces us that he truly is holy, that he is God, that he is glorious. And dear friends, When we really get a picture of the glory of God and we really see ourselves conviction, need, hopelessness become the part of our life. So he convinces us of his holiness. He convinces us of his justice. But he also reveals his love to us as he shows us and convinces us that his son Jesus Christ came to die a cruel death on a cross to take our place The place of those who would believe upon him so that we could have eternal life. The spiritual birth. So when we're looking at this text today, we're looking at individuals who have been born again by the grace of God. Okay? I like the way John said it in the very first chapter in verse 12. He said, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But there is a comma there, not a period. So listen to verse 13. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of the will of God. So the new birth is a work of God that he does in our life as children of God. So, this morning, we have to start there. If we don't have it right about whether we are a child of God tonight, then what we look at here today could just become some kind of new age mystical advice, or it could become some way that Buddha is seeking inner peace or seeking peace with the universe, or it could be simply humanism where we are making a bunch of self-effort to live out these two verses. So, the first and foremost has to be that right relationship with God, that you have been purchased by the blood of Christ, that you have repented of your sins, and you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Okay? So that is the question for us as we start this morning. Are you a child of God? Have you experienced the new life, the spiritual birth, done only by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God? Are you a child of God? Alright, so answer that for yourself this morning. So let's see what our text goes on to say to us here. One of the things that points out to us very clearly that this ministry we're talking about today is an every member ministry. Okay? If you Well, you are here today, but if you are a child of God and you're a part of this church family, God has called you to, to place your life here, commit yourself to the ministries and to the works and to one another, then he is talking to you this morning when he says, I urge you, brother. Okay, now that's pretty important. That word urge. Because it's very much unlike up in verse 12 when he said, we ask you. That was a request. We look at this. This is emphatic. He's saying to his children, we urge you. It's like he's commanding us. He's not giving us Multiple choice, true or false. He's saying, listen, child of God, brothers, this is what I'm telling you to do. I urge you with a great sense of urgency to fulfill these two verses. Now, I know when we look at this text, we might look at this and say, well, man, this isn't much of a text. This is pretty plain. But to me, that urge you puts great emphasis upon what he says to us in these two verses. So he's calling every member... To get involved in the life of each other. Do you hear that? He's not calling you just to come and and fill a spot in the sanctuary. He is calling you to be involved in the life of one another. That is what family does. That is what a healthy family does. See, it tells us we need each other. We need each other. We need each other sometimes because we need to receive From one another, but not always receiving. We need to also be people who give of ourselves for the well-being of one another. Are we willing to get to care? Are we able to receive from others? See, this is not just the staff ministry job. This is every member caring, ministering to each other. Okay? So that's the second thing we have to settle. First, Are you a child of God? Second, do you understand God's Word is calling you to be involved with the life of other members of this body of Christ? Do you understand that other people need you? They need you in their lives and you need other people in your life. And that is a picture of what the church is. I love Krista's speech at our widow's banquet yesterday. She talked to the ladies That's one of the things she told those ladies. You know, at your age, you have so much wisdom and so much guidance that you can give people. You need to get involved with the younger generations and share with them the great works of God in your life. Folks, that is true of all of us. Every one of us in here who is a child of God, we have something that we can invest in the life of others. So he says... Four things here, really more than four is about six, that I'll try to keep us going through these, but they're all very important. In verses 14 and 15, he says first, admonish the idol. Now he starts with probably what is the most negative uh, attitude in these two verses. The word idle, uh, the New American Standard uses the word unruly. It is a military term. It was first used to refer to someone who was always marching out of step. Uh, you've seen battalions and stuff, and they're marching, some of you guys, and ladies were soldiers, and, and they would march you around base and stuff, and left, right, left, right, and he said left, your left one's supposed to be out, not your right one. But an unruly person was someone who was never in step, that was always throwing everybody else out of step because they could not get into step. But then it, became, it came to mean undisciplined, or disorderly. Okay? So so Paul is saying, listen, there's those among you possibly who are unruly. They're idle. They're, they're, they're really not helping you continue in the ministry of Christ. What they're doing is causing a little chaos because they're just not in line, not in step with what's going on. He speaks of these in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, as well as verse 11. He says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but, but what? busybodies, okay? Busybodies. Somebody who's really not involved in life is someone to help them and build them up, but they're always busybodies. They're always wanting to get involved and knowing everything that's going on, not for the welfare of the other one, but just so they can be involved and, and cause havoc sometimes. But you know, really this is very serious because it's serious in the sense that they just never seem to be in line. And it seems like, Anytime they get involved in stuff, there's always a little bit of confusion. Uh, it's, it's like in the military when you're in a foxhole. Do you want somebody in that foxhole with you who is living a disciplined life and, and they know what's going on around them? Or or you want somebody in that foxhole with you that just kind of, hey, sirrah sirrah whatever will be, will be, and, and you know they're taking a nap? That's not what you want. Well, God's Word is calling us as God's people to be a disciplined people. That doesn't mean, please don't mistake what I'm saying here. I'm not saying we're always in agreement about everything. Paul is really talking about a doctrinal issue there in 2 Thessalonians that they are not same in mind, and they're disorderly in, in their mind concerning doctrine, and then it's being played out in the way they live their lives and the way they work. Discipline is needed in a family to, be, to benefit everyone. And in a church... We need to be in line with God's word and we need to be in line with God's will for the common good of each other so that we might edify the body. Now, some of you that have children still at home and those of us who have passed that stage, we would all quickly say, I think how important discipline is. You know, it's true. And it seems like sometimes we'll have a child or two that decides they want to be unruly. It just kind of stirs everything up, doesn't it? Well, that's the picture he's giving us of the church here. We need to be a disciplined body of believers. We need to be in step with the will and the word of God. Well, how do you minister to these types of individuals? When I I thought about this, he uses the word admonish. And once again, this is about the strongest uh, means of healing in these two verses. He uses the word admonish. I, I thought about medical problems. When you have a a physical issue that's a very serious issue, the, the doctor might come to you and say, you know, we're gonna really treat this aggressive. We're we're gonna really hit this hard. But on the other hand, you you may have a headache and, and you just pull an aspirin out of the, the medicine cabinet and take it. It's not nearly as aggressive, okay? Same thing here. This idea of unruly is the most serious of what we're looking at these two verses. So Paul is telling them to take the most aggressive ministry to those who are disorderly. He uses the word admonish. It is actually the kind of up front. You know, I, what immediately came to my mind was a drill sergeant. How, how a drill sergeant would, would get in the face of individuals and admonish them. Well, yeah. I'm not sure that's what we want to do, okay? I'm not sure we want to be like drill sergeants, but it does mean to be in front of someone. It doesn't mean to be in their back talking about what they're doing or talking to someone in the corner about what's going on. It means to be in front of them, admonishing them. It is the idea of telling them they are off track and they need, by God's grace, to get back On track with God's will. Robertson's word study says this means to put sense into someone, or it means to come along beside someone and put some sense into their head. So we go to a brother and sister that we love, and we admonish them. We say, friend, you are on a dangerous path. And we encourage them by reminding them of the joy of being a child of God. We instruct them in the right way. We encourage them to get in line with God's will. And brothers and sisters, our motives must be pure when we do this. We can't go to them with an attitude, Well, listen, I have a right to admonish you because, hey, I'm so spiritual. Well, you just blew it. Okay, Because you're more concerned about self-recognition than you are the well-being of that brother in Christ. Galatians 6.1 talks about this. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So we are told to admonish the idol to instruct the undisciplined. What's the second thing? The second thing he says here is encourage the faint-hearted. Again, I want you to notice that all of these are person to person. They are interacting in the lives of one another. All right, some of you watched football yesterday, probably, and we who are in God's family, we are not called to be bench warmers. We are not called to just be fans who are up in the stands yelling and cheering. We're not just called to be the guy who's at his home, uh, you know, in his recliner with a bag of potato chips and a big cold pop and he's watching football and when something good happens, he cheers and when his team wins, he pops out of his recliner. That's not what we're called to be. We are called to be the players On the field. And let me ask you something. Whether win or lose, Tony. Okay? Win or lose. (laughs) I had to put that in. He's a good friend. Whether win or lose, it's those who are on the field that really share in the victory or the loss. You know the guys and the fans, they think, boy, this is really great. But I'll tell you what, the guys on the field who are wore out, barely walk back to the dressing room, those are the guys who really get the reward of playing the game. Same way in church life. We're not called just to be bystanders. We're not called to just fill a spot and and watch what everyone else does. We are called to be involved in the life of the church. So he tells us here to encourage the faint-hearted. Who is the faint-hearted? That word means small Soul. It is a word that is used only here in the New Testament. They are people who are anxious. They worry. They they live in the fear of what if, what if, that they will probably never take a risk as long as they're in that situation. They're individuals who want absolute assurance and security about everything. Before they ever take a step forward, they'll never take a risk because they want to know what's going to happen every step they take. They are the ones who are real quick to see all the red flags, the problems of the journey. They're the ones who are real quick to wave a white flag. So instead of seeing opportunities, they see problems, they see pitfalls, and they see difficulties. Now, I'm saying that's a terrible, bad thing, and, and you're a terrible person if you find yourself there. It's not what I'm saying. But I am saying to you, that is not God's best for you. So when we have individuals amongst us, and brothers and sisters, sometimes we're probably that individual. So what do we do? What do we need done? We need someone to encourage us. And you know, as I consider this, I, I, I think the greatest fear about these individuals, it is so easy to forget them because they're really not hurting us and they're really not stirring anything up. But let me ask you this. If, if you had a child or someone in your family like that, would that be your attitude, just forget it? Forget it? Of course not. You would reach out to that individual because you want a healthy family. And God's Word says when we find individuals like that in our church home, we need to encourage them. And that word encourage comes from two Greek words that are very close to the Holy Spirit. It means to come alongside and it means to comfort them. What's that mean again? That means you must be involved in the lives of other people. You cannot come alongside someone someone, if you are not involved in their life. A gentleman by the name name of William Steele said, Our involvement with others is determined by the value of the sheep to us. Hear what he said? Our involvement with one another is determined by the value of you to one another. If I am not a valuable individual to you, and I am struggling through a time of discouragement, and you have no concern for me, you have no love for me, it's probably no big deal to you. But if you love me and you want God's best for me, guess what? You'll be someone who is quick to come with a word or an act of encouragement. So Paul tells us, God's Word tells us, that we need to encourage them. We encourage them with the word of God. You know another way we encourage people. With the, is with the testimony of the faithful. That's why I love to read biographies. Not so much that I learn a whole lot about other people. But, which I do. But man it encourages me. It encourages me to, to see the things they went through. It encourages me to see the faithfulness of God in their lives. It, it picks me up in my spirit. I have a little sticky note on my computer, and it's been there, I think, for about the whole time I've been here. And it's a quote by Corey Ten Boom, and it says this. It says, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look to God, you'll be at rest. Now, most of you know what Corey Ten Boom went through. So when I, I read that quote on my computer, that is a, a word that brings me encouragement. So do you find yourself to be an encourager? And I don't just mean in your own family unit, which certainly you should be, but I mean in this body where Christ has placed you. Do you find yourself to be someone who notices when someone seems to be struggling, when someone seems to be worn out? Are you someone who is quick to respond with a word or an act of kindness to encourage them? So we encourage the faint-hearted. The third one is we help the weak. Of course, this could be physically weak, which we should do, which I think our, our church is great at. And I think our church is good at all these, just like Paul thought this church was. But he said, go further, excel even more. Okay? So what did he say? He said, help the weak. That is a physical issue. But the the Scriptures show us other issues as well. The Scripture shows us in Romans 6, there's a spiritual weakness. There's a spiritual weakness in a sense that they're unable to control the appetites of their body. They they struggle with life-dominating habits. Probably all of us know individuals like this. uh, or, Or some particular sin just has them in chains. That's one type of weakness. They just can't seem to break loose. There is a weakness which is related to a lack of courage, excuse me, to trust God and the difficulties of life. You know, the life falls in on them, and because they're weak in this area of life, they really find it hard to say, man, I'm just going to trust God through this. Someone needs to come along beside them, okay? The third one that is, and by the way, these four come out of Bible.org. I would encourage you to write that down. That is a great Bible study tool. But anyway, footnote, all right? The third thing they mention is there is a weakness related to a lack of knowledge in the will of God. Like, you know not how to pray, you know. Well, God tells us what He does when that. The Spirit of God intercedes for us and helps us know how to pray. But there's that weakness that, that we really don't know what God's will is. And we don't know how to respond. The fourth one, the, mo- the most prominent one, is a weakness related to knowing and understanding and relating God's Word to life. You know, we just read God's Word and we read God's Word and, and we just don't know how to relate it to our life. How, how does this become real in our life? And there's some of you in this sanctuary that's very capable of going to people that's in that situation, sitting beside them and opening the Word of God with them, talking through the Scriptures, encouraging one another in the Scriptures. But you know what, folks? That takes time. It takes time. It takes giving of ourselves. So he said, with those encouraged faint-hearted, help the weak. Help. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 talks about that. He says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul talked about it in Romans 15, the first two verses. He said, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, And not to please ourselves, but let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Remember when you were weak and Christ came to you. That's what we need in our lives. And it's so easy to say, well, you know, they don't try to help themselves. They're, they're just in that situation and they're dug in. And, and, you know, they don't try to help themselves. Well, I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, sometimes people just get so worn out, so beat down, just tired of trying. We have to stand beside them. We have to help them in those times. And then he said, be patient with all. All of those areas that we're looking at, we need to be long-suffering. We need not to rush to judgment. It means to be long-tempered, not short-tempered. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It is is a part of love. Love is patient. So what motivates us into sharing lives with one another is we have patience and we want God's best in our life. You know, as I thought about this, and you can probably add to this, but I I kind of told myself, we need to ask ourselves, how patient is God with us? You know, because it is easy to give up on people. You know, so how patient is God with us? Maybe we need to yield to the Spirit, because the Spirit's fruit is patience. And I asked myself, do you believe, if a person is a child of God, that God is at work in that person? If so, then let's trust God together to work in Him and work through Him, His good will and His purpose. Let's be patient with one another. The fifth thing, he says, See that no one repays evil for evil. Wow. Does that mean evil people are in the, the body? It seems to appear that way. Evil here is described as one who returns evil for evil. It doesn't mean they're a mass murderer or something. It just means when somebody does something bad to them, they just respond and retaliate or revenge. Uh, Maybe it was an unbeliever that did something to you and you responded to them how? Did you respond like an unbeliever would respond or did you respond like a child of God would respond? This can be attitudes as well, not just actions. It can be an attitude of, well, you know, they ignore me at church, so I'll show them, I'll just ignore them as well. It may be the tongue. Someone said something about you, so man, you're going to get them back. You're going to slander and gossip about them every chance you get. See, it's not always some terrible act that we do to one another, but it is still just as painful and just as harmful and does just as much damage when it is an attitude or work of our mouth. We need to not return evil for evil. Paul had a lot to say about this. He spoke about it in Romans 12, 17 through 21. He said, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Paul told the church in Rome... Peter wrote the same thing in 1 Peter. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Jesus Christ taught the same thing. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your coat, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So this is not something that is just isolated in 1 Thessalonians. It is something that Paul wrote to the church in Rome First Peter, Peter spoke of it, inspired by the Spirit of God. And Jesus Christ himself spoke on it. Do not take revenge. But what are we supposed to do? Always seek to do good to one another and every one. There is a believer's response to someone who does something evil against us. Now, I want you to get this picture in your mind, if you can, about that phrase, always seek. To do good. Always is one thing emphatic. But here's the picture. He says we seek. That word seek there. It means to run after. To chase. To expend all your energy. This is not some kind of half-hearted seeking. And what are we seeking as the children of God? To do good. To do that which is valuable. To do that which is beneficial. So our objective is to wholeheartedly seek good for those who do bad to us. Now I tell you what, that is only possible by the power of the Spirit of God within us. Because I guarantee you, when somebody does something to us, says something to us, or acts a bad way to us, the first thing that wants to happen is our flesh wants to boil up. Our flesh wants to strike back. Our flesh wants to get even. And if we're not careful, bitterness will take root in our heart. And I guarantee you, bitterness does not hurt that person. Bitterness hurts only the vessel which holds it. This is such an important teaching that Paul is giving these people in Thessalonica. And it's so true for us today we must respond to people who do wrong to us in the right way. You know, I, that goes in just so much of life besides just our church life. You know, I, I don't use the pulpit for politics and all that stuff. And I don't believe it's supposed to be. But I see that in politics so much. Uh, and people who's not even running races. You know, somebody who's running for something does something they don't like, so, oh man. You know, man, let's let's get that dude. Let's let's stab him in the back. Let's let's do something to, to ruin his campaign. We've been called to do good. Doesn't mean that we agree with everything, but it means that we live our life as the children of God. You notice he clarified this phrase when he said, to one another, and he said to everyone. In other words, to one another, he is saying to every member of his body, to every member of the local church, God has given us the responsibility of each other. Think about that. God has given you the responsibility of each other. Church isn't just about what you get. It is about seeing others and ministering to one another. And there are times that you will be the caregiver and there will be times that you will be the individual who needs to receive care. But all of this means we are involved in each other's life. So ask yourself that question this morning. Are you involved in the lives of the people of this church family? Are you? And see, it's not just what takes place in these four walls. It's life. Are you involved? Do you encourage? Do you help? Do you admonish? See, God has called us to that ministry. He says everyone. In other words, there's no one that's outside of our care and our concern. Yes, we must be wise in how we help people. Because we can do them more harm sometimes than what we can do good. But within the context of this scripture, it is in the context of caring, loving, helping. That means that we need each other. I guarantee you, Pastor Jason, he knows he needs you. He knows that. He has not placed himself on some kind of pedestal and saying, here I am, God's gift to you, although our pastor is a gift to us. We should see it that way. But, you know, those of us who are teachers and stuff, we, we don't place ourselves on a pedestal and say, well, you're that and I'm this. That's not the way church life works. Church life means, folks, we need each other. Every member. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians I would encourage you to go back and read all of 1 Corinthians 12. But listen to just this part. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. See, that's saying. If you're sitting there today and you say, well, you know, I really don't teach, so so I'm really not a part of this. Oh, yes, you are, friend. That you would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. <clears throat> that would make it, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. Now listen to verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet I have no need of you. You see that? He said, beloved, guess what? We need each other. Whether you're a hand, a foot, an eye, an ear, whatever. We need each other. You may say, well, well, I'm just a big toe and, and I want to be an eye. Well, that's fine. But if God wants you to be a big toe, all you're ever going to see is the inside of a sock. You know? So that's just the way God works. God places us in a body in a specific way has a specific purpose for us. But what we are looking at today is a very church-wide ministry of God's people caring for one another. No Lone Rangers. We need to be hooked in. We need to be hooked up to a local family that we can relate to, that we can look at and honestly call brother and call sister. We don't do that much anymore, but we have that heart attitude toward one another. It means that you do more than just come to Sunday and get fed. That it's not just a consumer or entertainment type of service. It's not just about me, me, me. But you realize it's time to take off the the bib and it's time to put on the servant's apron. It's time to serve. It's time to love the body. I know people try us. I know there's times we want to give up. We want to just quit. But that's not the way a family deals with one another. Not a family. Now some business may, but a family doesn't deal with one another that way. We don't give up. You know what's really interesting about all these things I pointed out to you in these verses today? Every one of them are perfect tense. You know what that means? It means they're continual. That means you and I, who are God's children, we are supposed to be continually, habitually, doing these things that we looked at together today. It is supposed to be a habit of life. Remember, you may be the next one that needs help. You may be the next one that needs a word of encouragement. I hope you're not the next one that needs to be admonished. But we need to always remember we are the children of God. And because we are the children of God, we are family members. And we are to minister to one another as family members. I believe Lincoln is a great church. I love this church family. Uh, I'm so thankful that I was able to keep up while I was gone on the internet and all that stuff and come back occasionally and see what God was doing here amongst you. It's amazing what God has done. But you know what? We're all still just saved sinners. <laughs> we all still have issues in our life that we deal with. You know, we, none of us have really arrived. So we still really need to help one another. We still really need to just care about each other. And do whatever we can for the good of each other. And you know why? Because it brings glory to God. It does. When there are church families that's loving, caring one another, the way the scripture says, it brings glory to God. Let's bow together, shall we? Gracious Father, I thank you today for this time that we've had together to open your word. Lord, I just pray that you would help each of us here, who are your children, to, to really see the importance of of living out these truths. God, I know we're all gifted differently, but Lord, I, I know that every one of us can can live out this. We we can show compassion. We can, we can speak words of kindness we can do maybe what the world just called little things for one another, but which are so important. So God, I just thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that you would just call us to yourself in a way that would bring honor and glory to you. I, I pray for individuals who maybe through this past week and months have heard the the witness of the gospel. and Lord, that today you will have worked in their life and shown them the importance and... the the benefits, the glory of of being a part of your family. And that they, Father, you might have opened their eyes to themselves and to you. That they would see themselves as sinners in need of a Savior. And they would understand that Jesus is their only hope. Lord, I, I pray for the members of this body, myself included, Lord, that we would have eyes for one another. God, we would have hearts for one another. And as opportunities arise, God, that we would be quick to respond for the well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.